I think we are so lucky because we are getting ingredients, like I mentioned before, that no one else is using. And like, so it, we are literally creating things that can only happen in this venue. That to me is amazing. Like just amazing. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. What inspires a career in food? And once you're there, what feeds the appetite and continues to inspire and constantly evolve one's abilities and experiences? Glenn McHugh is the senior sous chef of Old Young's in WA. Glenn, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm great. It's good to get you on the show. Uh, you're over there in WA at the moment. How, how's things going there? Um, things are very cold at the moment, to be honest with you. It's uh, reminding me of home. And um, yeah, it's just been pissing rain and, you know, like six degrees. And yeah, it's um, I've definitely acclimatized to this country, I think, now at this stage because I'm feeling it in my bones, to be honest. <laughs> Well, I haven't heard too many people say that WA is cold compared to some other places, but um, you're you're actually south there in the Swan Valley. Tell us a little bit about the region you're in. Look, to be honest with you, um, even though I've been here 11 going on 12 years, uh, I wasn't too familiar with Swan Valley and... um, I had been there there on the, a couple of times on your, you know, generic booze bus kind of, you know, tour going, hitting a few wineries and hitting a few breweries and stuff like that. And I always kind of viewed it like that, but I, I realized that there's actually a hell of a lot more to it. Um, obviously, I think it's the oldest wine region in Australia. It's also really one of the hottest wine regions in Australia. Um, but it's, it's like a, I don't know how you, how do you say it's, 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 it's like a, a snapshot of Europe in, uh, in Australia, in my opinion. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What, what do you mean by it's a bit of a snapshot of Europe? I mean, it's, I mean, there's obviously there's tons of, you know, Italian, uh, heritage there. There's, um, tons of Europeans, you know, that have made, uh, homes and a living from the land there. Um, so we're surrounded by wineries, surrounded by nature. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just fantastic. It's, um, I, I, I wasn't familiar with the, with the, the company, which is old Young's, which is a, uh, gin and vodka distillery. Um, before I came on board, um, they've been in the venue for quite a, uh, a number of years before we actually opened the kitchen. Um, and once I came on board, I, could, I, 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 I kind of fell even more in love with the, the area. I mean, it's, it, 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 I mean, there's people beside us making, there's, you know, making ice cream, there's cheese makers, there's chocolatiers, there is obviously wineries and distilleries and breweries all around us. And it's just kind of, um, you know, a lot of people come here and they have, to, you know, they come to Perth and they go, okay, well, we need to drive down to Margaret River to, you know, hit a winery. Well, no, you can actually just come to Perth and just go 30 minutes and then you're in a wine region. A fantastic wine region, in my opinion. With, with all of those sort of artisans and that sort of rich food culture in the Swan Valley, has that sort of affected your approach and what you're doing at Old Young's? 
Well, one hundred percent. We um, we try to you we the the the, the term hyper local is thrown around, but it's we try to use as many local producers as possible. We like for our ice creams, for example, and um, we will make we will infuse our own milk, like with Geraldton wax or fig leaves or whatever, and we. And we will, which are all grown on the property, and then we will infuse that. We'll give it to um, Stella, uh, our um, ice cream maker, and two days later, we have amazing Geraldton wax or fig leaf ice cream that goes on our menu. Wow! You mentioned that you're growing things on the property. Tell us a little bit about the property and sort of what you are growing on there. Sure. Um, so native produce is obviously something that's important to not only the distillery but also to the kitchen um so i mean at the moment we have we have fig trees we have pear trees we have lemons we have kumquats we grow a lot of native stuff so like native lemongrass obviously geraldton wax which is you know like nearly a weed at this stage but the most delicious weed in the world um um, what else do we have? Yeah, we, we obviously grow like uh, wild fennel and many other things like that, grapes, things like that. Um, but it was just fantastic because, I mean, whenever I get a little bit maybe stressed at work, it's always good to bring a chef out or myself out to go out and just go, okay, let's, let's uh, reset. Let's have a look in the garden and just, you know, remember, remember why we're doing this. You listed some pretty extraordinary native ingredients there, and I can tell by your accent that you uh, grew up uh, over in uh, Europe. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about the sort of immersion into native ingredients for you, and because your trading was all back in Ireland. Yeah, correct. Um, to be honest, up until about up until I started in Old Youngs, my knowledge of native ingredients was. Terrible, terrible, to be honest. Um, and that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to work with Rowan and I wanted to work at Old Young's was to kind of educate myself. And I'm by no means a master or super knowledgeable at the moment, but I have definitely realized that I've learned quite a lot in the last two years. Um, we're very fortunate um, cause, because of... Our chef Rowan, he has he has some great relationships going with some elders and also through his work that he's done in the last few years. So we get to use produce that no not many other restaurants in the entire country get to work with. So um I, I, like for example, emu emu eggs. Uh, you know, I, the emus in Ireland are non existent, obviously. Um so getting to prepare an emu egg is something that I could never have done at home or in Europe. You know, it's literally just because of where I'm working and the emus are across the road. We're actually, we're actually feeding them waste from the kitchen at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, you know if, if it was in Europe, we'd be feeding a pig in old youngs, we're feeding the emus. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you never hear an Irishman say that. Um, so, like, just, you know, preparing that, like, so we will break down the emu eggs, which was, like, I was so scared to do it the first time. Um, chef showed me through it. But, I mean, like, I'm using a bread knife 
they cut open an egg. You know, that's, that's how thick the, the shell is on them. Uh, we will cure the egg yolk and then with the egg white, we'll make an emu garum, which goes on our kangaroo dish, for example, at the moment. Um, so the, the major, the major thing for me personally is it's not even just about being able to taste and use these ingredients. It's the fact to be able to walk around the beach or my local area at the moment and actually notice these things, things that I walked, that I walked by, you know, two years ago and didn't even notice. Now I'm, I'm purposely more, you know, open-minded and like I'm viewing the world differently. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the way it is. I'm seeing Lily Pilly down the road. I'm seeing Geraldton Wax. I'm seeing, you know, I'm going to the beach. I'm seeing, um, coastal salt bush i'm seeing beach mustard things like that that i would would have walked by you know two years ago so that's that that's like i feel i'm very fortunate and yeah very very fortunate are there things you need to be mindful when using um all of these amazing native ingredients that you talk of when you're actually creating a dish and um, well like the, the the thing that that um you know it, it makes sense but like I, I've started growing a lot of things at home, but you know, they're generally introduced species. They're, you know, they're spring onions, they're rocket, they're whatever. But you see with Australian ingredients, they're hardy. And you can see this is like centuries and centuries of evolution. They, they, they are so hardy and so they can be so abrasive because they have such a harsh climate to survive in. Um, so you just have to, use some restraint when using them um, because they are so strong and they can be so powerful. Um, but in the right hands, they are just amazing. Well, I want to explore sort of in more detail a bit, bit later on what you're doing there at Old Young's and the incredible menu that you have. But uh, as we briefly uh, touched on, you're from Ireland originally. Take, take us back to, to Dublin and uh, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Um, look, I, I'd, I'd love to tell you that I have um, an Italian grandmother who used to, you know, make gnocchi with me and, you know, put corks when she's cooking octopus and stuff like that. But I don't. Um, I come from a long lineage of Irish people and, um, you know, we are not typically renowned for our cuisine. Um, that obviously comes tr uh, through um, massive amounts of poverty and famine and struggle and, you know. So, look, growing up, it was, we're a typical Irish family. Um, I think probably one of the highlights would be having a fish and chips on a, on a Friday every so often, um, which we still do very well. Um, but it was really, it was really going, uh, traveling away from Ireland that really like makes me think about food. Um, my father, his whole mood depends on how the weather is. So obviously being in Ireland, that's not good. So he, we would have to leave the country at least once a year. Um, so it would always be trips to Spain or to Greece, but predominantly Greece. Um, we would always just go to one of the islands, which whether it be Zagintos or Rhodes or Crete or Corfu. Because at the time it, it was quite affordable and you know, it was, it was amazing. And it was like when I was about 15, 
not 14, we went to uh, Zagintos, a small, beautiful island. And at this, at this time, I was quite heavily into punk rock and listening to bands like The Exploited and Amen, Fugazi, Rancid, all these kind of bands. So I was quite rebellious at the time, or, or so I thought. Um, so we went to this, we, we, we would always go to this one restaurant that was at the end of the strip and um, I saw octopus on the menu and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to mess with their heads. I'm going to order octopus. Yeah, yeah. And um, I ordered the octopus. It came out and it was like mind blowing. It was, and simply, just simply done. It was fresh octopus on the barbecue, dressed in some olive oil and some oregano. And that was it. And it blew my mind. The, I, I still remember all the, the suckers on the tentacles were crispy from the barbecue. There was smoke. The oregano just was, it was just phenomenal. And I was like, oh, actually, this is delicious. I wanted to make a statement, but it actually, that one moment changed my life. And that was, I knew right then, I was like, right, no, I, I actually, food is cool. <laughs> was that the moment that, you know, not just made you realize you know, the, how amazing food is, but did that push you in the direction of being a chef? 100%. That's that, that, that moment. There's, I, that's the most clear moment in my childhood, to be honest with you. Um, I always remember that moment. And I think we went back to that restaurant about four or five times before the holiday finished. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it will always stick to me. So like Greece is a, a massive turning point in my life. And I still think it's, um, one of the most underrated cuisines in the entire world. Certainly. I don't disagree with you, especially there's such the, ama the amazing way they capture simplicity with great produce. Um, tell us about the beginnings of your career. You know, you had those extraordinary experiences in Greece, but what was it like stepping into a commercial kitchen back in Dublin? Um, so my mom actually got me my first job. Um, she just came back to the house one day. My, 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 my dad and my mother had gone for... Uh, a pint in the local pub and you said all right i got your job as a chef and i was like all right cool that's exactly what i wanted but uh, at the same time i was filled with um fear um i turned up i was 17 turned up to the local pub um and look i i love this i love this straight away i just I, I don't know it was um it was a mixture of so many things but I just, I just wanted to have my hands on food and this kitchen was not, you know, it was definitely not three-star Michelin or anything like that, but it was, it was a doorway and I, I loved it. And I just, I just, I just took it and ran with it. And um, I decided that year, okay, well, I'm, that's what I'm going to do when I finish school. And I applied to go for college to study culinary arts that year. Take us through that sort of period in your in your life when you started to uh, earn your stripes in different kitchens in Dublin. What were the really important venues and people that helped shape your career? Um, so as, when I started, um, I kind of went balls to the wall, for lack of a better term. Um, and I took a full-time job while studying full-time. So for many for a long time, I was doing 80 plus hours a week, but I was never tired. I never felt tired because I was just obsessed. And 
you know, when you're just that obsessed, it, it doesn't feel like work. It was just, just constant want, wanting to learn, wanting to learn, wanting, you know, to be better. So at the time, I, 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 the major place that really helped me a lot was the place called Blue Bistro, um, which was on Dawson Street working with uh, Shane O'Neill, who I consider mentor of mine he was um it was his first head chef job and he had worked around the michelin you know a few different michelin places and it was his first venture and he just instilled me that like just not to be lazy just work just just work your ass off and we made everything by scratch everything we we were making we were making bread twice for fresh for lunch service fresh for dinner service we were making brioche to order to go with our little foie gras and um, making all our ice creams all our pastries all our tart shells everything and that's something that you know I, that stuck with me for a long time obviously the industry is a little bit different now and to to um you know to work 60 70 hours on a 38 hour wage was very normal it's not so much now um but he instilled in that in that that just that just lack of being lazy just just work just work um i also i also one of the the when i got to work in uh, one michelin star in um in malahide which is it was a restaurant called bon appetit which was in this beautiful um three three or four story georgian house um, so at the at the bottom level you had a brasserie which was run by one of Marco's ex head chefs. In the middle you had kind of like a bar tapas thing, and then at the the two levels above was the the one star restaurant. And the head, the owner Oliver Dunn he was one of the best chefs I've ever one of the best chefs definitely I've ever worked for. He was he he showed me that you don't actually have to be an arsehole to be at the top and you can actually be a, a gentleman and treat your staff well, but still achieve these phenomenal feats. And, um, it would, that was just a, a fantastic, fantastic, um, opportunity. And I loved every minute of working there. Is, is there any sort of dishes that sort of stand out from your time in Ireland? How, how different was the food that you were cooking there compared to sort of what you what you now do in Australia? And um, to be honest, like looking at some of the food now, they should it should probably be in a museum, um, because it's we were we were just cooking French food, you know, and like. I know, like when we were when I was working in Bon Appetit in Malahide, he had worked. Oliver, our chef, uh, had worked for Gordon Ramsay, uh, and so we had like a lobster ravioli, which was basically just from Gordon's menu. Um, you know, we were just we were trying we were trying to just you know replicate dishes from from France, which went through England to then who, which then filtered down to Ireland. So, like, I mean that was that was that's all we wanted you know always wanted to be french you know i i i, I like to think that ireland now is in a completely different state and um we are definitely more multicultural but um in terms of dishes i mean i i talked about the lobster ravioli but i mean we were making fresh pasta and we were making those raviolis twice a day before lunch service and before dinner service and um, and 
like I mean literally rolling it with 10 minutes before I had to serve them and that was like you know that was just like literally being in the weeds every single day twice a day but I loved it um, and that was just literally just a, a, a lobster mousse lobster and salmon mousse piped into a, a, a like a quite large ravioli and I had a a lobster bisque and some fried basil on top and it was it was simple but it was delicious how, how did you end up in Perth? Um, so I had a, my best friend. He had come out to Perth uh, a year before me. And he came over here, came back to Ireland. He's like, Glenn, you have to come over. You're going to love it. And I was like, that's ah, very far away. And I, I had no interest. But he's like, Glenn, you'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. I said, all right. Okay, cool. Let's just, let's do it. I turned 26. I was like, all right. At that stage of my life, every birthday, I would do something different, whether it was go, I don't know, just I do something different every year. And that year I said, all right, well, I'm going to go to Australia. Um, what he neglected to tell me on the way to Australia was that he had met a girl and he had fallen in love with a girl. So the plan, our plan was always Melbourne. We were going to land in Perth, see a lot, because at the time I knew about, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, but about 60 people from Ireland, just in Perth alone, we were planning to drive down to Melbourne and, you know, as a chef, Melbourne is a culinary dream. Um, but I re quickly realized when we got to the airport that, oh, Liam has met a girl and he likes this girl. Um, so the first month here in Perth, I didn't work. I just kind of met up with friends and then spent a lot of money and then realized, okay, I have to stay in part because I don't have any money. Um, um, so then, yeah, I got like, to be honest with you, I got, I got sponsored in my second job here and it was like, okay, well, I'm going to make this my home. Um, and it's a decision that I still, I'm so happy that I made, even if the decision was kind of made for me, because I genuinely think that this is, um, one of the best places in the planet to live. How different were the kitchens uh, in Perth when you first started working compared to what you were used to in Dublin? Um, well, to be honest, oh, I remember working with a certain gentleman who would wear shorts and thongs in the kitchen. Um, definitely not happening in Ireland. Uh, but it was just, a, it was kind of like the typical kind of Aussie, you know, laid back approach that, you know, it, it took me a while to to get into and um, especially coming from the kitchens that I worked in where it was just 70 hours a week, just balls to the wall, just, just obsessed and crazy. And I realized I came here and then I saw, okay, well not everybody is actually dedicating their entire being to being a chef. And there's, that's completely fine. That's completely, that's completely okay. <laughs> you know, um, it's, a uh, like I, I say to a lot of people in work that haven't been to Europe or whatever, I say, I say that like, you know, in, in Australia, if you work hard, you get rewarded. But in Europe, you just have to work hard. And that's, that's, that, that's it. Um, so it was, I, I, I my second, my second job, which I got sponsored in was actually a, a cafe and I was finishing work at sometimes three 30 and, I was on the coast at uh, Waterman's Bay. I could see the ocean from the kitchen. I was like, this is completely 
different experience to what I was experiencing before in my own country. And it, it took me a lot of time to adjust because I very quickly fell into a head chef role. I didn't, I, I wasn't comfortable with produce and ordering and food trends and things like that. And that really, that, that really threw me out of my depth. I was very confident chef, but that really, I really shone a light on my inexperience at that time. You also uh, opened a small Italian restaurant. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, so the same gentleman that sponsored me in my second re uh, second place, I went to work for him in his father's restaurant for a little bit, and then we decided to open just a small local, um, like fresh pasta and pizza restaurant. It was called Postamato, and. It was, I mean, all we wanted was just this local, just good food, little, a little point of difference, but just somewhere you could come and just, you know, eat a pizza, eat some small dishes, drink some good wine and just, you know, not, not going crazy. It was, um, I was obsessed at the time and I threw myself 1000% into it. Uh, it was a big turnaround. We... We had to, it was originally before that, it was an Indian restaurant. Um, so we had to renovate it from that and renovate the kitchen. I was working full time at his father's restaurant at the time. I finished on the Sunday night in his father's restaurant. And the next day, prepping for the new restaurant. And by Tuesday, we had our soft opening. Um, yeah, so it was, it was just a lot of work, and but it was amazing we tried to use the wood fire pizza oven not just for pizzas but also to cook for the kitchen which a lot of people weren't doing it because this is going back now probably six years not a lot of people were doing at the time um but again i brought that ethos of making everything from scratch which was crazy um again we were making we, we didn't we we agreed i wanted to make all the pastas by hand we agreed okay we'll do 50 percent by hand and 50 percent we buy things like spaghetti and linguine and stuff like that it's better just to buy but like we were making our gnocchis we we're making our agnolottis our raviolis um uh, orecchiettis things like that but we were making all our ice creams all our pastries everything by hand and again that required a lot of labor and i think at that time i was doing probably six days a week probably 12 hours a day um which i can't even fathom anymore because i'm an old man with two children um, but it was just it was just pure obsession and just the, the the drive just to try and perfect and be better and be better each day and i think a lot of my chefs disliked me because they were just like especially some of the Italians because I'm this Irish bloke showing them to how to make orecchietti uh, and they're just like well, why don't you just buy it and I was like what's the fun in that but um, yeah I, they disliked me why did you end up uh, leaving the Italian restaurant after after a few years um, well I, I to be honest as much as I love Italian food it is uh, quite limited in, in terms of what you can do. Uh, I feel that um, if you mess, you can only mess with tradition if you're actually Italian. An Irish guy messing with tradition is not so well received. So I just felt like I needed. I look. I needed. I needed to move out of my comfort zone as well. And I saw a massive gap in my in my uh, 
culinary arsenal, which was I, I very little knowledge on native ingredients, and also with making ferments and misos and and such. And the opportunity came up for old youngs working under Rowan, who super knowledgeable in native ingredients and as I said as I mentioned before has access to ingredients that a lot of people don't and he also is massively into making misos and garums and and such so but the the, the, the other thing on, on top of that was the fact that it was daytime hours so normally to work in a, a quality restaurant like I mean I, I mean like a you know, uh, Australia, Australian known wide restaurant, you have to go to move to Margaret River. But this is actually 30, 25 minutes from my house. I've got two young kids, both under the age of three at the moment. It, it, it was a no brainer. And my wife really, my wife was the biggest uh, advocate for it. She, she thought it was the right move. And um, I did it. And yeah, it's the best. It's one of the best decisions I've ever made, to be honest. What was it like when you first sort of made that move and that transition to um, work in the Swan Valley and really sort of immerse yourself in native ingredients and a different way of cooking? Was it? Did it have its challenges for you? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, normally I can walk into a kitchen and just I say, okay, well, we're going to do this like this and we're going to do this like this and I can work accordingly to that and you know people can listen to me but i was going into a kitchen and working with ingredients i've never touched never tasted never smelt before so i was i felt like i was on the exact same level as the people that were on positions lower than me because i was learning i was learning every day and i still am learning every day and that's 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 the greatest thing i'm still learning every day even i'm 20 years in the industry and I get to touch these things and smell these things and see these things after 20 years in the industry and to see them for the first time, taste them for the first time. That's not very common, to be honest. We've had a lot of guests on the show talk about burnout and you talked about the long hours that you've worked in the past and the different sort of scenario you have now. How important is that sort of um, way of sort of approaching a job that you've taken now where you sort of take a step back and you relearn things or learn new things is that important to mental health and um, longevity yeah i mean I'm, the other like major focus point in our in old youngs is the term hospitality 2.0 um it's work-life balance is very very important for us you know we're not no one's doing 50 hour weeks or 60 hours that's just, just unheard of and if 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 uh if there if it happens that someone has to do a little bit over time okay you will you will get that you will get that time back we will we'll we'll give you four days next week or three days whatever it is it is huge to us I, I, it's, in terms of venues in my 20 years it's whatever that the best venue that I've ever, like in terms of conditions and work, right. It's, it's, it's just amazing. Um, like obviously through COVID, I, th I think the whole world kind of readjusted. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it a hundred times. I, I listen to this podcast every day, so I know you've heard it a hundred times, but it just really did readjust the whole world. Um, and like, cause I remember when I, when I went through COVID, 
I didn't I didn't lose a single day of work during COVID. I actually worked the entire time in that Italian restaurant, but I was cut down to I was the only person in the kitchen. So I was preparing, cooking, and then cleaning uh, for that entire time. Because my wife was pregnant with our first child, um I felt it necessary. And I, looking back, would I do it again? I don't know. But I was alone for about 12 weeks. And we underestimated how busy we were going to be. And we were doing about, I was doing about 600 meals a week in the kitchen. Uh, on my, um, yeah, on my own. And, um, but there's, you know, because when we, people talk always about maternal instincts, but we don't talk about paternal instincts. Like there's a, there's a, a thing that happens to men. Oh, it happened to me anyway. As soon as I found out that I was having a child, like, which was, you know, which was the best thing ever. I uh, straight away said, Oh, I need to make more money. Uh, which is the wrong viewpoint, but that was, I just, you just, you need to be there. You need to support your family. And that was my viewpoint. And that was my, uh, ideology. Um, I even took a second job, which no one knew about. So I was working seven days a week because I just, I just, I freaked out. Um, now I see the other side and now it's so important. I don't, I try not to take my work home with me. Sometimes it happens. It's, it's just the nature of the beast, but I try to, my home time is my home time. My work time is my work time. And when I'm at work, I give 110%. And when I'm at home, I give 110% to my family. And that's just the way it kind of is at the moment. You never anticipated moving to Australia and, and even Perth as well, but now you've built a life there. How much have you changed um, since sort of building your life here? Um, well, like it, it, I've, I just thought about this recently and it's kind of strange because there's going to become a point where I will have lived in Australia longer than I have ever lived in Ireland. And people ask me, where is home? Ireland will always be my home. It, it, it's always going to be in my accent. So it's, it's always going to be my home. But um, as I said to you before, I, I, I don't think there's a, this, this Perth is one of the best places in the world, especially I have two children. I can't think of a better place in the world to grow up as a child. You're surrounded by beaches. You're surrounded by nature. There's 15,000 parks around us. It's good weather, you know, 11 and a half months of the year. Like back, back home, we're growing up. You just, you're all constantly at nature's, uh, nature's uh, decision, whether you could play football or you could go out or whatever here. It's just, it's just, it's just beautiful. Um, Obviously, I, I, my wife is Taiwanese, so neither of us are from from this country. But we have two girls that are born here, and they're Australian. Um, and as I said, I, I I can't think of a better place for them to grow up. To be honest. Well, uh, you're doing amazing things over there in WA and Old Young's is really um, getting on the radar across the country for everyone. What do you love about what you do? Um. I, look, look the, 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 uh, like I mentioned before, the fact to be able to still learn on a job and not just rest on my laurels and just say, oh, well, I've done this before and this before and this before is, is to me is amazing. Uh, I know Chef Rowan was on, your, on the podcast before and he talked about creating unique flavors in terms of using Japanese ferments with 
native Australian ingredients. And there's not many places that can do that. And I think we are so lucky because we are getting ingredients, like I mentioned before, that no one else is using. And like, so it, we are literally creating things that can only happen in this venue. That to me is amazing. Like just amazing. Well, it is amazing, and it's an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today, Glenn, to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you so much for having me on, your gentleman. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.